Sweden is a very small country. But for a small country we have delivered some great stuff to mankind. The adjustable wrench or monkey wrench, for example, that's a Swedish invention. And the zipper. And let's not forget about the implantable pacemaker, the three-point safety belt for cars and dynamite. And depressing films of angst-ridden people on the virtual breakdown, or Bergman movies as we call them. The Swedish industry has also made its mark on the world. You have probably heard of companies like Volvo, Scania, H&M and Spotify. But in the last decades, a brand new Swedish industry has arisen, the gaming industry. The Swedish game industry is booming, to say the least. Did you know that every tenth person on this planet have played a game produced in Sweden? So why did Sweden become such a giant in the gaming market, even though the country is so tiny? Why is the Swedish game industry so successful? Follow me down Yellow Brick Road and learn more, and hear about the great new exposition at the Swedish National Museum of Science and Technology called Play Beyond Play, celebrating that great industry. Game on, friends! Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagerin and this is Yellow Brick Road, your friendly little podcast about movies, games and visual effects. Yes, today we're going to talk about computer games, the Swedish computer game Wonder and the exposition Play Beyond Play at the Swedish National Museum of Science and Technology. It gives me great privilege to introduce this week's guests, Sebastian Flavi from the National Museum of Science and Technology and Per Strömbeck, spokesperson for Dataspelsbranschen, or Swedish Game Industry, Sweden's trade association for video game companies. Welcome, guys. Hello. Great to be here. Let's start with some introductions. Per, tell us about your background. Well, um... I, I used to be a, a game developer myself in the 90s. Uh, I like to call myself a surviving game developer. Uh, <laughs> game development is so hard. You, you have to be in the same room with the same people for years. So I have the greatest admiration for everybody who has the stamina and focus to do it more than once. Mm. Uh, I didn't. I found myself uh, doing better work supporting those who had that stamina and talent and focus. Uh, so I'm now in my 14th year working for the Trade Association. Great. Time flies. <laughs> <laughs> and Sebastian, you work at the National Museum of Science and Technology here in Stockholm. And you've been very much involved in the exposition Play Beyond Play. What's your background? Well, growing up, uh, I wanted to act, direct, make movies. And I studied that in high school. I also uh, played and composed music. So I played in, um, in different bands for a while. And uh, then I met my wife, and I had to get a life. Uh, so <laughs> it was back to school, and I went to communication school. And fairly immediately after graduation, I ended up at uh, the Science and Technology Museum. Mm. And that's where I'm at now. What attracted you to that museum? Uh, money. <laughs> no, not, no, but when I had my first meeting with my colleagues and my boss and the, everybody at the museum, I have to say it's a really, uh, it's a place of inspiration because they strive to stretch the boundaries for what a science museum 
can or should be. Mm. Well, a, a modern science. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I had never worked in a museum before. I have been to this science museum before as a kid. So I had some sort of uh, memories of it. But after that first meeting, I felt that this is a really cool place, actually. So I want to be a part of it. Yeah, and now it I is. Am. Yeah. <laughs> okay, l- let's start directly with a million dollar question. Why is the Swedish game industry so successful? Per? Well, in your introduction, you mentioned lots of accomplishments of engineering. Uh, and I'm also glad that you mentioned Bergman, because I, I think it's important to stress the point that games are uh, the, the meeting of, of technology and art. Mm-hmm. So I would add to that list uh, people like... Uh, Thomas Tranström, Astrid Lindgren, the writers and poets who made it great outside of Sweden. Maybe Carl Larsson, the painter, um, Abba, Yngvi Malmsten. Give me, give me, give me your love after midnight. Won't somebody help me chase the shadows away? We also have a very rich tradition of creativity in this country. And, and I think we need to recognize both of those to really understand games. Mm. Then there are a number of factors, obviously, uh, that need to be in place in order to have a a competitive industry for something global as games. Uh, You can get games from all over the world. People play Japanese games, Canadian games, American games. So you need to be as good as as the global competition. So you need good educations, you need good broadband, you need... um, computer skills, even international airports, all those things. Those are kind of the basic requirements to be in in the race. Mm -hmm. Um, And then everybody has something that sets them apart. I think Sweden has a lot of things going for it. Uh, We have a great culture of teamwork, for example, that fits really well with games. We have a very negative mindset, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, you know, huge if you, if you want to focus. Like I talked about before, it's, you have to keep your focus and crush bugs and you have to, I mean, a lot of it comes from <laughs> some kind of neurosis, I guess. <laughs> so, so that's great. But I think if I had to point to one thing that's more important than anything else, it was the popular culture boom in the 1980s. Uh, which taught this generation or my generation of of game developers to... Well, we learned all the basics of of popular culture. For the first time, we had cable television and satellite television, so an access to global popular culture or trash culture, if you like. Um, There was a a boom in music, so uh, there was the the metal versus synth fans (laughs) battles in the 1980s. Um, and uh, I think that also gave sort of a rise to um, a new identity for teenage boys. It wasn't only being good at sports or in school. You could also be interested in popular culture. Mm-hmm. And then in particular for games, there was uh, the Commodore 64 and other home computers, which taught this generation, still boys mainly, to program, to write code. And uh, Drake Ramona, Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and type role-playing games, uh, which taught the fundamentals of game design. So we had popular culture, we had coding, and we had the fundamentals of game design. And that brought uh, a grassroots movement of making games, which in turn, I mean, the first company started from that climate, from that subculture. And then it's evolved since, obviously. But that would be sort of the original root of, uh, of today's industry. If you look at some of the most successful companies, they share that that mm. background. Wonderful. Sebastian, the, the exposition Play Beyond Play 
it celebrates the, this lovely game industry. Uh, and, and it opened this spring? Uh, exactly, this spring it opened mm. the, the first part of it. Why did you choose to, to do that exposition? Uh, we could have waited and opened it in, as a wholesome, but mm. we wanted to, because this exhibition, uh, when it's open, it's, it will be the entire uh, level four in the museum. It's a big mm. exhibition. So we, th- we felt that we had the room to open half of it uh, in this spring and uh, focus more on develop the second part a bit longer. Uh, the first part more about, well, it, obviously the Swedish gaming industry, but we have uh, some research that the museum has funded uh, that's also part of the exhibition. Uh, and there's game stations, we have HoloLens. We, we had enough that we felt that this is, a, this is something great. We need to open this now. Mm-hmm. and think about what we want to do with the second part because we weren't really, really finished with that part. So no. we bought us some time. Can you also play like old vintage machines and games? Uh, we have an old arcade game, but uh, this is not to be confused with the, the game on the, two, no. uh, the exhibition that we had. That was a huge success that also taught us that the people that visited, it would, the love and dedication that they had it's one of the reasons that we wanted to go back to uh, doing something in gaming. Mm. But uh, this is not an arcade type of uh, exhibition. No. We're talking about uh, the different roles uh, that's behind uh, game production. And we try to highlight some of the roles that might not be as obvious as uh, some of the roles. And mm. we bring in cosplay because that's, we think that's a, a big part of uh, mm-hmm. the gaming industry or the, ga- the the culture of gaming. And uh, that's the essence of the first part yeah. of Play Beyond Play. Are, are, are we good at cosplaying in Sweden? Yeah, I think we are. I sh- wish my colleague would have been here. She has uh, a, a better knowledge of this. But uh, as far as I can see, I, I think we are, we're really good in the cosplay <laughs> community. My colleague, not she didn't force me, but she uh, <laughs> had like give me a little boost so I'm a part of different groups on Facebook and stuff mm-hmm. to see what's happening and what's going on and I can see there's a constant flow in this community of creativity amongst each other and uh, they share and there's a lot of love so mm-hmm. I'm really impressed with this community actually you guys look like an 80s rock band <laughs> you know Ben this material stretches I'm sure I can figure out a way to make it fit uh, I, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing that I love these costumes they're missing something though, right? It's like spice. They're not costumes. And the new part of, of Play Beyond Play then, uh, what surprises do you have in store for us there? Well, the surprises, uh, <laughs> I think we will leave as surprises. <laughs> but the second part will uh, mainly focus on the experience of gaming. Mm. We have uh, the first room, is, we call it a game portal. Uh, we want to give the visitor kind of the feeling of stepping into a game and be like completely immersed by it mm-hmm. so and uh, that might be a, a surprise i'll leave it at that and then we have some uh, new game stations of course focusing on vr ar uh, we have uh, some funky controllers one uh, game that you control with your with your voice mm-hmm. Another game you use a bicycle pump to control, and all these games. A bicycle pump. Yeah, pump the frog. <laughs> I, I love brilliant. it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's not just pumping; you, you twist the handle. That's also a way of controlling the frog. So, you have to check that out. 
And these games are, are developed by students, so they're not available anywhere else at the moment. Mm. So uh, you definitely need to check that out. <laughs> I, I have actually seen parts of it. And Goodbye Kansas is part of that extension yeah. as well, having showing how uh, the 3D character Maya was created yeah. for the game trailer for Star Breeze's Overkill's The Walking Dead game. Per, is your organization involved as well, I guess? Well, we've been involved uh, at stages, but we shouldn't take credit. I think it's great what, what you guys are doing something really special here because I think I'm, I have all the game expos- expositions in the world on my radar screen mm-hmm. and I, I try to visit them as much as I can. And what most museums do is they do retrospectives of games history. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, I mean, dozens of those. And yeah. there's a place for that. I mean, that's, that's a great idea for an exposition. Uh, you did it with uh, Game On to yeah. .0, which was insanely popular. Uh, so there's definitely value to that. But I mean, I love that you guys are doing something different. And I think that you guys are also avoiding the pitfall of looking too closely uh, at the technology. And and that's I think is a big step for a technology museum. Yeah. A lot of a lot of these expositions tend to look at the devices and and the screen and pixel counts and and the mobile processors or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those factors are not irrelevant, but I think uh, what you talk about cosplay that is audience co-creation that is so powerful in games that the games belong to the players and they change the games only by playing them they change the games and cosplay is maybe an ambitious or even extreme example of 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 audience participation and, and audience creativity so i think that's huge that you integrate that and also um, when you talk about the game experience, so it's it's what the player takes from the game. I think, in to a large extent, it's a field that hasn't been looked at too much mm. from uh, from the outside, from a formal perspective. Obviously, the industry does this a lot. Mm. Uh, the games media does this a lot, but uh, there's uh, not a lot of academics that look into that particular field. Uh, if you look at other forms of expression, like movies or, or literature... They have great theories. They have, uh, you know, they have great thinkers with big names. They have Greek terminology, peripety, yeah. protagonist. You know, <laughs> there's there's words like that. Yeah. We have like level boss and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know things like that. So so uh, you're doing something cool here. You're doing something special and unique here. Because you're starting a conversation around these topics that I think are much more interesting, not only because they haven't been discussed so much, but I think they are more central actually to the evolution of games and and what's around the corner and and to better understand what games not only are, but what games can be. So as you can hear, I have some great (laughs) expectations for the high expectations (laughs) for this exposition uh, to which I will make an expedition. No pressure. (laughs) All right, I'm going to cross you off the list for the... (laughs) No, but we, we we hope that we managed to, and I'm happy to hear that you that you think that uh, because that's exactly what we aim for. And of course, there's a there's a limit to what we can and cannot say. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. there's not only that much room to begin with. So um, we tried to choose out what we think is most it, important. It it sure sounds like an exposition that, that that is like here and now. So will it evolve? Will you change things in it in the coming years? Or? Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, first off, 
the first part of the Play Beyond Play has some game stations with uh, like contemporary games, but they get old really fast. So yeah. you need to have a plan to for change those. But there's also space for changing some of the uh, stuff that's in the exposition, of course. Mm. It's supposed to be a live exposition for over a span of years. So we need to change materials in it. Some of it will probably uh, be the same, but uh, there's always room for improvement and highlighting of different topics. Yeah. So, I also heard a rumor uh, oh, that, that, that you might be planning a kind of gaming dungeon where, where people can try new games before they're released and stuff like that. Mm, that might be true. I won't say if it is or if it isn't. But uh, that's the beautiful thing about rumors. Yeah, exactly. So I, I can uh, acknowledge that it's a rumor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, but of course that would be a super cool thing, wouldn't it? So yeah. we're we're definitely looking into it. And then there's a lot of deals that needs to be made and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, backs that needs to be rubbed and <laughs> so forth. So it's a it's a process, but that would be super cool. Yeah, but but the bottom line, it it will change and evolve, and and there's always a reason to come back. Of course, no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, they're on a loop. They go around the block. They come back. They go around again. They just go around and around. What's your personal favorite game, by the way? Close call, but if I have to, can I choose two? Yeah, you may. <laughs> because there are, I, I gamed a lot when I grew up, but I didn't have a console uh, except my parents had a Pong clone. But uh, my first computer was an Atari mm-hmm. 520, and that was huge. But the ones that made the most impression on me came a little later, actually. And I would say one is uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, and the second one is Final Fantasy VII. Mm for completely different reasons. Monk Island for its like quirky humor and and I and I just fell in love with it. Uh, the whole setting. And Final Fantasy VII gave me something else more emotional that I I didn't really expect that I would be that moved <laughs> by mm. a game. Uh, so that that was uh, something that I remember still today. I actually, before I came here, I had to uh, Google the death scene of Ares again to see if it still moved me. <laughs> Did it? Uh, well, not as much, but <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me uh, of what I felt. Yeah, but just as Per said, emotions are so important. Yeah, it is. Like and it's so cool that a game can really, really capture you and really, uh, you you put a lot of effort into uh, into it. You You give time and love and dedication, and you get so much back. Mm. I think it's fantastic and a, and a reason to celebrate gaming and, in this particular case, Swedish gaming. Yeah. So, What favorites do you have, Pan? So um, the single best game that has meant the most to me and that I spent ridiculous amounts of time on is uh, Civilization Two. Mm. What, maybe 1994-ish? <laughs> Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to have a really boring job. Uh, so what I would do, you know, in the seven hours where my <laughs> presence was only needed in sort of a physical <laughs> meaning, I would play Civ 2, which was fine because my boss did the same. 
<laughs> so um, my save games, my best save games were on par with the best save games on the Apolliton civilization mm. side. So I, I like to think of myself as the elite. <laughs> I'm not sure others would agree. So, uh, but yeah. But can I make a point about how museums are similar to games in a way? Yeah, um, please, please do, yeah. There's this debate uh, with academics around how to best describe a game. And there is one tradition which is departure point from narratives. So they use the terminology from maybe film science uh, and then or film studies. And then um, uh, on the other hand, some people talk about it as a set of rules, like board games. So it's, it's for the player to discover the rules. But a recent tradition looks at it as a potential where the player can interact and, and choose his or her path through the game, uh, sort of like an amusement park or even a museum. And I think that's a very helpful way to look at games if you want to explain them to somebody who hasn't played. Because the player is free to do what he or she wants with the game, right? They can mm. they can take different paths. They can choose to try to play the game in a way that's different from what the game designer had intended. Um So this creates kind of a conversation between the game designer and the player. How do I convince the player to go in the direction that I wanted mm. them to go? Uh, and that's not always successful. And it's not always you know, helpful for that to be successful because the game belongs to the player. So if you look at uh, a phenomenon like speedruns, when you try to finish Super Mario as, as fast as possible, uh, that wasn't something that they discussed at <laughs> Nintendo when they made that game, I, I can't imagine. And still it's this huge subculture and there's videos online and things. Um, so I think that's, that's really cool, a really cool part with games that they allow the, the players to do something completely different and unexpected. And I think, isn't game design like museum design or exposition design in a way I can take whichever path I like through your exposition I can skip some of the objects I can spend all my day at one of the objects there's other people to interact with I can talk to them I can try to um, you know I don't know cut the line if I'm a douchebag <laughs> there's all these things that uh, I can do as a player which is really difficult for you as as the exposition designer to control mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, there's uh, there's something cool about this challenge in how do we convince the visitor or the player to to do what we think is most meaningful, yeah. and and how do we accept that we can't control that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, that's true. That's interesting. We've been discussing this topic, of course, because the exposition designers, uh, of course, they have a preferred flow that they they want, they want to. There's not a timeline. Thank God, but there's a story if you if you will. But there's no need, like you say, you can make any choice you want and still enjoy uh, the exposition. And and of course, this is something that we discussed and uh, try to adjust against. Mm-hmm. So uh, I th- I think you're spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a way, it, it comes alive together with with the visitors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, otherwise it would just be dead objects and uh, and screens flashing and nobody to interact with them. And then it would be nothing. Just out of curiosity, do you kind of monitor how the visitors are are walking through the the exposition, how long they stay in different 
places, stuff like that. Yeah, not not per se the specific expositions that are at the museum, but the complete, the overall visit. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our visitor stays like three hours and over that. So we have, they spend a lot of time there, but the museum is very big. Yeah. Of course, we discuss uh, the flows of mm -hmm. people visiting uh, and uh, what they tend to do, what they like, what they don't like. And we have surveys that they can fill out yeah. uh, and try to monitor that way. Since it's like a, a living exposition. Yeah. So that's an advantage for, for game developers because um, if you have a, a game that plays on a server, you can see exactly Data, what the player yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, can, you can make experiments and give some of the players some new tools or options or levels, whatever. You can make informed decisions about how to develop the game or change the game or update yeah. the game based on what you have learned from observing the, the player behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I, that's a whole science, obviously, to, uh, to yeah. ask the right questions and, and get the right answers yeah, from, no. from that data. Uh, but uh, that's a, an interesting quality uh, and maybe an advantage that games have. And we, we're, we're learning that more and more and maybe there's some learnings we can share with with other industries i had an, a question the other day from somebody who's doing educations for the real estate mm -hmm. industry what they can do with their data do better buildings and services around those buildings so um that's that's one of the fields maybe that um, games are pioneering not to be a new industry but just because the sort of the art form yeah allows it and, and demands it. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I think it's great that you say the word interact as well, because I think that's, that's really the key word. Interactivity, mm -hmm. that's, that's what's special about games and museums and amusement parks. It's, it's interactivity, and I think it's helpful to think of interactivity as, as something powerful uh, in its own right. You know, a kid, a three, four-year-old kid loves to play the elevator button or press press the elevator button. Yeah. It, it lights up and then the elevator moves. That's interactivity, a very basic form of interactivity, but it's so powerful. Kids yeah. can spend An hours. An immediate just, reward, yeah. Yeah. Could also be a very good game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I think, uh, yeah, I like to think that um, this is a new art form that's that's different from, from other expressions. And uh, It is. We have experimented with it as an industry on a commercial scale mm. very successfully, but there's a lot more to be done. I mean, there's a lot more to be done in commercial games, obviously, but I think that there's a lot more to discover around uh, the, the interactivity as an art form. And I, I think that's there's not really a conversation like that that I've seen. So um, that's one of the things that would be great if it could come out of, of your work with, with this exposition, that we can have uh, conversations around that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Obviously, it's a new art form uh, and, and so many ways to, to use that. You, you mentioned academic uh, studies. Uh, is that something that's also becoming more and more, that, that people actually study games and how they... Yeah, there, there are a lot of different ways how, how games and academia interact. Mm -hmm. So the museum has funded some, some studies. I think that's about the impact of games on, on society and players. Uh, there's also, if you go to Gothenburg, there's a cross-disciplinary faculty or, or collaboration between academics. So you have the business academics, the teaching academics, the engineering academics, all involved in games, but taking their starting point from, from their different disciplines. Mm. Uh, and there's also an academic field, which is uh, 
it's in its infancy maybe mm. I, i'm not sure they would agree but uh, <laughs> but it's it's a new let's say it's a new academic field and sometimes it's called ludology uh, which looks at games uh, as a phenomenon unto itself and, and develops um, some some terminology around that and and uh, experiments uh, and it's not only in in the academy based on greek <laughs> <laughs> i love i love greek words i want yeah, more greek words <laughs> I think that's a status symbol. Yeah, <laughs> If you have yeah, Greek yeah. words, you're important. Just throw some in. Yeah. I fear the Greeks, even when they bring gifts. An educated man. So how does the future look for, for the Swedish gaming industry? Uh, it's bright. I mean, it's growing like crazy. We increased 500% in turnover in, in five years. So it's... Uh, money is there uh, investment is there we now have um, more than one uh, game developer listed on the stock market I think it's almost 10 now mm. uh, so there's lots of investment but that's not the main factor the main factor is that more people al- around the world play games mm. so new demographics so new new target groups new age groups new new social groups um, middle-aged commuters pensioners people who aren't your typical gamers play games now mm-hmm. uh, and and th- all those segments are growing all those segments people play more and more games also new markets we're doing a trip to Asia with the Nordic game industry later this year emerging markets Latin America Middle East uh, India so there's uh, there's growth on many many different fronts and and there's about two billion players in the world so mm-hmm. there's another five to convince. Uh, so there's no shortage of that. And the Swedish industry grows faster than the world market. Um, so I think we have our, our fate in our own hands. If we can continue to challenge ourselves and, and do new games and better games and uh, improve, then then we can continue to be one of the best game development countries in the world. We have some outside factors Um Lots of, of overseas talent that we employ have difficulty finding housing. There's troubles with work permits. Mm. We hired a thou- more than a thousand people to the industry uh, last year, and that's more than twice the number of students that graduate. So there's a bottleneck in the education system. I'm not saying all the new employees should come from the education system, no. but still. So there's a lot of things to work on, but uh, mostly that is in our own hands. And the main important factor that we work on now is is diversity, so that we can better invite players of all backgrounds uh, and and game developers of all backgrounds. And uh, we like to think about game development as, as something very difficult and you need special skills, and that's true. But I think we also need to think of how we can take advantage of the new perspectives from people who don't have those special skills, but they might have other things to offer that might help us develop as, as an industry. So that's one of the most important things that mm. that we're working on. Great. It was great to have you here. And let's hope for continuous growth of, of the Swedish gaming industry and lots of new amazing games. And mm. good luck with the exhibition. Thank you very much. Amen. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and you out there, thanks for listening. And don't forget, if you're in Stockholm, do visit the National Museum of Science and Technology and the Play Beyond Play exhibition. It will be open for at least three to five years, but why wait that long? (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) It opens on October the 6th, is that correct? That's correct. 
Next week, we'll talk about the visual effect work that Goodbye Cancer Studios did for the new film from acclaimed German writer-director Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. The film is called Never Look Away, and it's now selected as Germany's entry for best foreign language film at the Oscars. Exciting stuff. Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wir hörs. Thank you.